welcome to the Enthusiast Club Podcast. I'm RJ White. Where do you live? Have you always been there? How did you get used to it? Find your way around. Well, this week, we're talking on the phone with Steve Huey, or as some know him, Hollywood Steve, from our Los Angeles chapter, about how he got acclimated to that sprawling metropolis when he moved there years and years ago. It was through a love of food, an interest in trying new things, getting to know a new city, and discovering the work of Pulitzer Prize winning restaurant critic Jonathan Gold. So, let's hear from Steve Huey, Hollywood Steve Huey, about his enthusiasm for the restaurants of Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles in 2001, a month before 9-11 happened. Ah, okay. Looking for the restaurants thing probably at first wasn't really forefront of the mind, I'm guessing. No, no. That was, it, because when I first moved out here, I, you know, I, I have, I come from a large family. There were, there were uh, five kids in my family and, uh, you know, you get used to, even, even if you're as introverted as I tend to be, you still get used to having a bunch of people around. And when I moved out here, I had some friends from high school and from drama club, like people that I actually knew pretty well, and I had a safe landing spot. But after a while, it just kind of became apparent, like, oh, I kind of need to forge my own path here. So in just trying to get out and meet people and make some new friends and kind of put down roots, the question was always kind of, well, why did I move out here? Like, what am I really trying to do? And what's here that I can't get back home? That was the question I was always asking, like, what's, what's unique about this place that will eventually show me more of the point of leaving my old place where all my family is? And uh, so in, in trying to answer that question, eventually, I think I, I started by uh, going to Trader Joe's and, oh, I'm in California now. I'm going to drink wine. That's what they got here is wine. This is this was back when the low carb diets were all the thing and nobody in LA drank beer because carbs. And so wine was like the thing and Trader Joe's had a bunch of, you know, cheap wine that was still fairly good. And Trader Joe's wasn't as national as it is now. And so Trader Joe's became like kind of the first unique thing that I found that I liked here eating and drinking basically is, uh, is how that started. And then as I spent more time and got out more and read more things, I became aware of the LA Weekly, which was our free, you know, Village Voice type alternative paper, and uh, and their Pulitzer Prize-winning food critic Jonathan Gold, the first and only food critic to win a Pulitzer Prize for commentary. And we had that guy right here, and he worked for the All Weekly. Oh, yeah, he he. I believe, I believe he started at the LA Times and then went to the LA Weekly. And then went back to the L.A. Times. I could be wrong about the chronology. But when I was aware of him, he was working for the L.A. Weekly and then later moved to the L.A. Times. Every every year he would come out with the, the, the Gold 101, which was like the 101 essential restaurants in Los Angeles. And he would just go all over the place and try it seemed like every restaurant in the city, which was kind of like, oh, wow, this is a dream job, dream existence. You know, it kind of coincided with, you know, Food, food Network taking off and Anthony Bourdain and Andrew Zimmern and those guys, you know, going on Travel Channel and having food adventures and 
you know, it, it, it kind of gelled with me like, Oh, this is, this is a guy in my own backyard who's doing this all within one city from what he's writing about. It just seems like if people were traveling to go try the food in a foreign country, they could just do most of that in their own backyard right here. Well, before you moved to uh, Los Angeles, back in Michigan, um, how adventurous were you in trying uh, new, different places, types of food, that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I was fairly adventurous, but uh, not as adventurous as I became once I saw the array of options before me. Now, like I remember living in Ann Arbor, and you know, I liked I had always liked Italian food. It's like, oh, seasoning! I love seasoning. That's great. What else? What else? Is- what other kinds of foods in the Midwest are seasoned? Not many. <laughs> no, it's. I, I feel like this is my rebellion against my family. Like I, I had a pretty, I had a pretty decent childhood growing up. I like my family. I'm still on good terms with my family. But this is my rebellion: is is rejecting bland Midwestern cooking. It, it, it reminds me of the old Simpsons gag where Marge is at a county fair and she sees the spice rack and there's room for eight spices and she's like, some of these must be duplicates. What? That's that's the kind of uh, uh, family that I grew up in. And my mom is a great baker. I don't want to disparage her her culinary skills. It's just she does not like even salt. And I've always been kind of more, uh, as they say on the food shows, more savory than sweet. I was always very curious to kind of branch out, but I didn't know a lot of the paths to go on. And I remember in Ann Arbor, I had more access to like Indian food. There was an Ethiopian restaurant there that I think is still open. If I knew about things, I'd be curious to try them. But there was there was still a lot more room to uh, to grow in that in that uh, in, in that area. And so once I moved out to L.A., the biggest thing that happened first is I learned to like spicy food. Oh, you hadn't before then really much. Yeah, I hadn't really I hadn't really gotten into it, and and uh, I didn't grow up with it. And and you know, flavor wise, it's. I can branch out with different seasonings, but, you know, spicy food was a hurdle because it's not just the flavor. It's also there's a very different sensation in, in your mouth when you're eating stuff. And so I kind of had to just kind of learn to appreciate the sensation of having really spicy food in my mouth and just sort of embrace it. And then kind of feel, you know, you get a little bit of a, you know, a, a little rush off of it. The, the um, fucking word I'm trying to think of, not adrenaline, but... Uh, endorphins rush? Yes, yes, that's the word. You, yeah, you get an endorphin rush from from spicy food because it's, you know, it, it's controlled pain and pain produces endorphins to numb your body up if it's uh, potentially in distress. So I'd get an, I learned like, oh, I kind of get an endorphin rush off of spicy foods you know, I can only handle it up to a point before, you know, it's just, it just destroys me for the next two days, but I can learn to like this. And I did. That opened up a lot of stuff because LA is a fantastic place for spicy food. It's, uh, it's not just Mexican food because we have a ton of that and it's almost all great, but there's a lot of smaller Asian countries who have substantial immigrant groups here, like Koreans and, uh, Thai and Vietnamese and, the, you know, chili peppers and, and, you know, hot peppers can figure pretty prominently in those cuisines. And the more you can learn to tolerate that, the more you're going to be able to try other people's food on their terms and appreciate it for what it actually is instead of having them dumb it down for your white American palate. And that's another another thing about Los Angeles is that you have communities like these that are large enough that 
they can make a living cooking for each other. They don't have to cater to, you know, a bland white Midwestern palate because they've got enough other people who come from their countries to sell that food to them and cook what they want that reminds them of home. Well, see, that's almost kind of interesting that you started going to a lot of these places to adjust to not being home any longer, but you're going to these places that are more comforting for people from uh, further afield to make them feel like they're at home still. So it's a bit like this whole thing just kind of inter- these cross purposes have sort of intersected uh, a little bit there. Yeah, and the weird thing was that doing that made me feel more like this was home. Oh, because you're finding like, oh, okay, I feel like I getting familiar with the place and being able to just go into whatever neighborhood, try whatever the hell they throw at you and just learn to like it or not, like as an experience. Yeah, and it's you know, it's it's all the all these different types of people and all these different communities, you know, living in this one big sprawling metropolis. You know, it's it's kind of home for everybody. You know, it's it, there's so many people who have roots elsewhere, but who call this place home. There's there's something of a bond that you get when you have so many transplants from so many different places in one place. You know, everybody kind of brings their allegiances from their past in, but then it can sort of become something a little bit different. You know, just just naturally, you may not come from the same places, but you. You've all had the experience of coming here from somewhere else and making this a home as best you can. Well, actually, in seeking out uh, new places to eat, uh, new types of food, how did that help you actually kind of explore the city and get familiar with, like, as you said, this, this huge sprawling metropolis, like, over the year? Did that then kind of help with that, too? Yeah, I mean, it's um, sometimes sometimes you can find you know the, the the little ethnic pockets, the little neighborhoods. Like I used to live in in what was called Thai Town. Thai Town is basically just a few blocks of Hollywood Boulevard that's stuck in the middle of Little Armenia. So there's a bunch of Thai restaurants all all within like a few blocks of one another, and surrounding that there's some Armenian restaurants. You know, you can, you can you can be in the middle of a little pocket like that. There's like a there's a little Ethiopia, there's a little Tokyo, there's you know there's a Chinatown like most big cities have, but it's not really Chinatown is not really the center for Chinese restaurants anymore. It's kind of over in the San Gabriel Valley. There's a much bigger and more recent immigrant group that wants you know the food that reminds them of home. So you can find places like that where there's just these little pockets of of amazing stuff and you just kind of go exploring there and try everything or you just might find like a little out of the way hidden like oh there's just this random great place in a mini mall and it's there because the rent was cheaper you know if if, uh, if you're a recent immigrant and you're trying to open up a restaurant you maybe don't have that much capital available to you the easiest thing to do in LA is to go to one of the mini malls that they built low those many years ago and start your business there instead of trying to get a big fancy, you know, space. Uh, and that's how a lot of a lot of these really great restaurants started to spring up. You know, kind of the the lower end of capitalism is uh, where where it's actually still kind of affordable, which is increasingly difficult to find, and not just here, but in a lot of uh, in a lot of major cities in America, and I think probably elsewhere as well you know, real estate values just keep going up and up and up because people don't know what's a safe investment otherwise anymore. Well, so how do you find a place like that? Like, how often do you actually 
hear about a place or research it and then go out to find it versus you just kind of stumble upon a place like, oh, I'll try this. Why not? Or you were driving by one day like, oh, okay, well, I'll go back there, you know, on Tuesday. The starting point was always Jonathan Gold and, and you know, you'd read... We'd, we'd read the 101 every year and there'd be some new places and there'd be a lot of old favorites and you'd be like, oh shit, I got to make sure I try this old favorite that I've never been to because it keeps making the list year after year. Or, hey, that new place sounds amazing. I got I to gotta make it a point to, to try that. And it, it also depends on proximity. Like I'm a lot more likely to try a new place if it's closer to me like oh i just keep passing that place a lot i mean i'll go in and see what this is about and uh i don't know i there's there's always uh there's always a list i have of places to try that's the ones close by and then the ones i got to drive for and kind of make a day out of it on the weekend if i'm free which you know la it has a deserved reputation for terrible traffic and uh if you want to if you want to make that your undertaking, you kind of have to be mentally prepared for the stress of getting there and finding parking and going in and maybe waiting if this is a popular place with a, in a small space and then uh, making your way back home on a very full stomach. It takes some time and energy. Well, what, what do you look for in a place that's going to make you do the research, check something off the list and actually go to a place? Like, what, what, do you, what makes you do that? First and foremost, I still kind of am biased toward things that I can't get back home. So that means a lot of, I feel like there should be a better term for this by now, but ethnic food. You know, I, I hate to call it that because, you know, this is the underlying assumption that white equals non-ethnic. Right. Ethnic is just non-white. You know, for, for lack of a better term springing to mind, food that comes from a particular culture and it's kind of its own cuisine and it's not the stereotypical white people food that I grew up with in the Midwest, where a lot of people's palates are just kind of meat, carbs, cheese, and beer. Uh, not to disparage any of those things, because I like them all. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a much bigger uh, variety out there. And there's a lot more different things you can do with those ingredients. And also there are vegetables. <laughs> and And one big revelation when you come to L.A. is that when you when you when you uh, dine with you know these these cultures and cuisines that actually know how to cook vegetables and have been practicing this for centuries and who have figured out how to make them taste good that changes your whole palate too you know if i wanted to eat a satisfying vegetarian meal i could easily do that and i could go to like five different types of cuisine to get that and 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 have an amazing meal and that's not really something I can do back in the Midwest because it's all like just oh you're a vegetarian here's a here's a here's a romaine lettuce salad with uh, all the things you're used to in a salad or here's a here's a meat substitute that's trying to be you know something you remember as meat but it's not as good. Like how has your palate kind of changed with all this kind of exploration? Or what have you discovered, too, about like, oh, hey, it turns out I liked that all along and I had no idea. Yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot. Um, like, it took me a while on the spice level, but I can handle a pretty decent amount. I'm not like, I'm not one of those people who's like such an adrenaline junkie that I'm just like, I want to come out of here breathing fire and, and shooting lava. Yeah, I know. That's a weird masochistic sort of like, oh, I got to do it for a 
competition or something where it's like eh, you're not enjoying actually eating then it should be about enjoying the meal yeah i don't i don't approach it i don't approach it with like i've got something to prove you know there's a particular thai restaurant that everybody here goes to if they if they want something spicy and even though it is, it can be screamingly hot if they practice part of the cuisine and it, it complements other flavors. It's, it's integrated into an overall flavor profile. It's not just like, I don't want to be able to feel my tongue afterwards. They, like, they know what they're doing, and they've been practicing this a long time, and they've figured out how to make this stuff taste really good and you know work with what the ingredients really are to present them in their best light, I guess. What would you absolutely not try? Uh, I'm still not super into uh, organ meats, uh, despite all the the Bourdain and Zimmern I've watched. I just uh, there are some textures I just can't quite stomach yet. Um, I don't like to have to chew animal parts for a really really long time to get them down my throat. <laughs> to me, to me that that almost kind of goes the whole thing of making the meal not enjoyable when eating should be. It's just for sustenance, sure, keep you going, but it should be kind of a pleasurable thing more often than not. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and I think another thing is I just get turned off by the, I guess, the particular type of, of vegetarian food that seems to only be based on nutritional value. Like the, the kale craze, I just never caught on to because I'm like, why would you why would you focus so much on that? Because most green leafy vegetables are good for you. And if you eat something like arugula, that actively tastes good to me. I would just like to have an arugula salad instead of trying to stomach some superfood that isn't really as pleasurable to eat as these other much more pleasurable options that would give me a fairly similar nutritional value and that I would be much more likely to return to over and over and over again. It's this, I don't know, it's this weird puritanism where we don't think something can be good and good for us at the same time. And it's like, oh, if I'm going to eat healthy, I have to punish myself to do it. Like, no, you don't. You really, you really, really don't. What's the best meal you've eaten in Los Angeles? Ooh, oh boy, oh man, oh boy. <laughs> um, God, there's so many. I there's it's just like asking you what my favorite album is. I don't, I don't, I, I, I've consumed so many, and there's so many good ones that it's almost impossible to to narrow it down to one. But I can. All right, let's see. I'll just I'll throw out a few, a few thing, a few things that just stick in my mind. Um. Okay, so there's a that that spicy Thai restaurant that I was talking about uh, just now. Uh, it's called Jitlada, and it's uh, it specializes in regional Southern Thai cooking. There's like 400 items on their menu, and uh, every time I've gone there, uh, knowing what that stuff was, I would try to try something off of that menu. And there's a uh, I, usually what I really like there is I'll have some screamingly spicy turmeric curry, you know, in a, in a coconut milk broth with a shit ton of turmeric. Like it'll stain everything yellow and maybe it's got shrimp and pineapple in it, or maybe it's got chicken and uh morning glory or, 
you know, something like that. But I always walk away from that going, wow, that was so good. I hope I don't regret it tomorrow, but man, that was really good. There was also a time that I went there. Uh, I just got like the hottest thing I could find on the menu that I could tolerate because I had a throat infection. Oh my God. I would stay away from, oh my God. No, opposite. Oh, you think it's going to go one way, but it goes the other way because what happens, like normally if I have a, if I, if I feel a cold coming on, I will just drown it in tea. I don't know if echinacea is a placebo or not, but I'll have like six cups of echinacea tea a day for three days. Normally that knocks it right the fuck out. Um, but this time, yeah, this time it wasn't. And it was like, Ooh, this one's going to be powerful because it's, it's resisting my usual regimen. My throat feels terrible. It's only going to get worse. You know, how long is this going to last? Hmm. I wonder if I could just burn it out. And so I went to Gelada. I ordered something called the Southern Spicy Beef. It's just really fucking hot ground beef with, you know, peppers and, uh, you know, onions and basil leaves and whatnot. And I just, I told him, just give it to me. Like, give I want Thai spicy. Don't give me spicy. Give me Thai spicy. And I just ate that with rice. And, and oh, man, I could feel that thing dying in my throat. It just did not, it did not know what hit it. And it didn't not, it didn't know, it didn't knock it out completely right away. But it was like, it was like sort of the uh, cut to the the face that it never quite recovered from. It just like, it fucking cured me. (laughs) It cured my throat infection. It was so spicy. And I will never, I will never forget what that food did for me. The place that I tend to, like, if people are visiting L.A. and they've only got one night and they're like, let's go eat. Where, where should we go eat in L.A.? Um, the, the place that I say most often is a, a Oaxacan place called Gelaguetza. Um, they're, one of the, they're one of the many ethnic restaurants that Jonathan Gold sort of catapulted into local stardom by writing rave reviews of them in you know, English language papers that people outside of their communities are going to read these and they're going to, wow, what is this? I've never heard of this before. And uh, like the the current owner of Gelaguetza has told the story many times, you know, her dad just, you know, started this restaurant catering to local Oaxacan immigrants. And one day he walked into the restaurant and he's like, where did all these white people come from? And it's because Jonathan Gold reviewed the restaurant in the paper and people suddenly, I have to try that. Um, so that's a place that specializes in mole sauce, which is, uh, there's usually like 20 some different ingredients in a mole sauce. It's extremely complex and time consuming to make. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's got usually chocolate and chili peppers and all these toasted seeds and nuts to give it this very rich depth of flavor and you know whatever you know there might be fruit there might be broth there might be all these other different things in it but um it's very unique and there's really nothing i've had that's like it and that restaurant has has since won like a a james beard heritage award for being you know culturally uh, like a cultural landmark locally basically so if people want one restaurant in la to go to i usually say let's go here because you will never have had anything like this, and they do it really, really well. Well, actually, it's interesting. So, one of the questions I want to ask you was putting yourself in a situation where you've got somebody visiting town, twenty-four hours, and you can take them out. They put 
themselves in your hands for three meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, so that's dinner. Uh, where would you take them for breakfast? Ooh. See, brunch is a big thing around around Hipsterville where I live, and um... okay, so you'd skip you'd skip breakfast entirely, like not even some sort of kind of dinerish kind of a place for eggs and toast or whatever. I would say go small, go small on the breakfast. Like, like maybe there's a couple of places nearby where you can get breakfast tacos. I can get a couple of those to tide you over until you can do lunch or, you know, you're going to, if you've only got 24 hours, you're going to want to focus that energy on other types of food. Um, the, the, maybe the, the exception might be if you can get in, if it's a weekday and you can get into the squirrel, which is like the long line, hip, small space brunch place that has, uh, you know, healthy, very healthy food that's actually good, and so that's a huge hit here in LA. They're 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 known for doing homemade jams and putting them on ricotta toast. Uh, they're known for this sorrel pesto rice bowl. That's you know sorrel is not an herb that's used a whole lot, and it's kind of tricky to prepare, I guess. Um, it's 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 some kind of green that I, I want to say that it can be bad for you in large quantities, and it takes a certain type of preparation to uh, to get it right, but flavor-wise, it can be it can be it can be very sour, and so it goes well with with uh, with citrus. But yeah, they'll do that as a pesto, and then they'll do a rice bowl with it, and they'll put a poached egg on top and some pickled radishes and some house fermented hot sauce because they have to do everything from scratch themselves. So do the breakfast tacos for breakfast, or one or two, but then save up the room for a brunch at a place like that pretty much yeah do, yeah do a light breakfast or brunch uh, and uh oh man it's like uh there's so many places to be. Uh, you could easily do just like tacos and and have an amazing day in la eating tacos for every meal and have something completely just all three meals oh yeah easily like there's there's a there's a blog article that's continually updated on one of the I think it's eater dot com. It's like the thirty eight best tacos in LA and they're always cycling things in and out of it. There's a uh, there's a particular taco truck. It's been it's been on a couple of shows now, uh, and it's always been like, you know, the one of the local contenders for best tacos in LA. It's called Marisco's Jalisco and they do these uh these deep fried shrimp tacos that Nobody quite understands what they put in them. So they, they, they batter these shrimp. They put them in the taco shell. Then they deep fry the entire thing. Wait, all of it? Shell and all? Yes, shell and all. Oh. And then uh, oh, they, pull it all, they pull it all out, and they, they top it with this. Uh, they, it's, it's served sideways. And they top it with this sort of uh, thin tomato salsa with uh, a little bit of cabbage in it and, uh, and then some avocado slices. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! It's fantastic. It's like, like you you wouldn't think that a fried shrimp taco could be as good as it is, but there's just something in it that's like, I don't know how they do this, and I will never figure it out. Like that's when my when I'm, when my brothers came out here to visit a couple a couple of years ago uh, to come to a taco festival. I made them go to that one separately and we all had lunch there and everybody, yeah, this is the best one. We had a lot of tacos here and this is still the best one. They've been on at least a couple of shows now and I, I can't remember which one's off the top of my head. So going uh, through the John Gold list and you cited that one example 
of the place just doing uh, crazy business to a different audience because of uh, being mentioned in his uh, reviews. Have you ever found that to be the case where you go to a place and then it gets written up somewhere or it ends up on some Food Network show and like, oh, well, you know, the old Yogi Berra thing, like nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Where you're kind of like, well, I have to write that off for a while because, well, now it's popular and hot for a time. Have you ever had that happen to you? Uh, I'm usually not good enough at discovering them on my own to get in before it's gotten wider exposure. Um, there are some there are some Jonathan Gold places where I've gone where I've gone expecting bigger crowds. Oh, oh, okay. It's apparently it's not that big of a thing, and I can still easily sit down and. And, and, you know, get something that's that I'm get one of the things I'm supposed to get here. By and large, it's uh, it's hard to get on, the, especially with Yelp now. It's hard to get on, in on the ground floor of everything or of anything just because so many people will have tried it already by the time it, it shows up in the algorithms or what have you. It, it was kind of a daunting thing to think of your best, your favorite meals you've had it seems like it'd be easier yeah I mean, and that's only scratching the surface like though i mean i think i mentioned three other there's a cuban bakery with uh, franchises in glendale and burbank called portos that everything they do is amazing baking wise and they have uh they'll sell like sandwiches that are all amazing and little cuban food platters that aren't even their specialty but those are still amazing they do these deep fried stuffed potato balls that uh, normally it's got seasoned ground beef, but they've got a seasonal special for Thanksgiving where the deep fried mashed potato balls are stuffed with turkey and gravy. Those are amazing. It's, it's it's just one of those places where everything they do is good, and I have no idea how they because there is like one local thing you find out is a lot of the Asian restaurants wherever they're from in Asia they tend to focus on specific things like they pick a thing or two. And they specialize in that, and they do that really well. And if you go to that restaurant, that's what you go for is one of their specialties that they do. You know, it's it's kind of opposite this American idea. Like, you go, and, and there's, like, 100 things on the menu, and you can get anything you want. But it's probably going to be mediocre. That was always, those always worry me. Yeah. Those always worry me that they're spreading themselves too thin, and they have to have all of that stuff on hand just in case someone's ordering for the first time in weeks. That always kind of makes me nervous when I go to a place yes, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Korean restaurants are particularly like that. Thai restaurants seem to have bigger menus, but there are certain places like in Thai town that are like, Oh, they specialize in, uh, they, they do duck a lot. So there'd be some duck dishes on the menu and, and stuff like that. Uh, you can definitely LA is a really good place to find regional specialties in from just about anywhere because again the communities are big enough where you don't have to just do the standard menu you can do a specialty menu even from your home country maybe it will be easier actually uh, than the uh, best things what's the worst meal you've ever had in Los Angeles those things usually stand out pretty Ooh. easy <laughs> Like leaving aside something where it was a bad night with food poisoning or anything like that. Something where you just go there and you're like, I just don't like this and I don't see why anybody would. <laughs> um, there was, 
I've usually had good luck with taco trucks, but there was one night where I was going to a show downtown and I just needed to eat something real quick. I stopped at this place like, oh, it's a taco truck. It'll be fine. And it was not fine afterwards uh, for for a few days. So, so even with taco trucks, sometimes you should check the reviews before you go. But, you know, that's 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 very much the exception, especially given the way that people who are the, the uninitiated may look at, at taco trucks. Oh, it's a roach coach. They're really playing roulette with that. Like, no, you're you're really not usually. Usually. I've always been disappointed with any type of venue that's like a dinner and a show place where you're obligated to buy dinner. None of those places seem to want to focus all that much on the quality of dinner. How often does that come up? Are there, there there's a lot of those? Because I'm trying to think here in Philadelphia, I can't think of anything like that. Like like what, like a medieval times kind of place, or like the Magic Castle, or something, or what? Um, you, there might be places where you like uh, like you watch a concert, like a like it's like a jazz club or something like that, or like a like a comedy show. We got a lot of fucking comedy shows here. You may, as, as you may suspect, um, stuff, stuff like that, where they want to charge you as much money as possible while you're a captive audience. Like if you want to see the comedy or the, the music or the, the, the fancy movie screening or whatever, then you have to buy our $20 uh, store-bought quality food that we definitely did not make from scratch and is disappointing. Two steak dinner minimum or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I think the, uh, the one that springs to mind of where I stepped outside my comfort zone to try something and did not end up liking it is I went to a Korean place and I ended up ordering this stew. I thought I was trying to order something else, but I ended up with this stew where it had this uh, particular variety of Korean blood sausage. Uh, I think it's called Sunday. And uh, I was I, I did not care for it. I, it, it was it was too close to the uh, the organ meat kind of thing that I that I tend to avoid. Uh, and now I have had soup with blood in it before. Uh, at one of the uh, Thai restaurants near my old home, and that was pretty good. Honestly, I couldn't really tell that it was blood. Yeah, it, it just looked like soup. Oh well, see, that's that's the only way I'd want to have it is when you can't tell at all. Except, eh, salty, a bit of an iron <laughs> taste. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, that's that's how I had it. But you know, it's it's part of the flavor profile, and you don't really notice it unless somebody points it out. So this whole experiment, since you've been there, uh, doing this to try to explore the city, get outside your comfort zone, that sort of thing, how has that kind of uh, changed your relationship to food and how you see food? And like at home when you're cooking, how has that changed, like all of it too? Like trying new stuff there? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try. It's it's all like another another. I mean, you know, eating at restaurants a lot can add up financially. Uh, you got disposable income, and that's what you're spending it on. Eventually, that's going to add up to a point. Like, hmm, maybe, maybe I should learn to make a few of these things myself. So I've made I, I I make a lot of curries, and they are not up to restaurant quality, but you know, it's kind of they're good enough to scratch the itch without costing nearly as much as you know a fifteen dollar Indian dinner meal combo thing uh, once a week. 
I took, uh, I, I used to work night shift, uh, for, for a big chunk of my, my thirties. And that was miserable for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them being that I barely had time to keep up with friends I already had. And when I finally got on night shift, a lot of them were kind of moved on to a new phase in life. You know, maybe they had spouses or children or much better jobs that took up a lot of their time. And so I kind of had to rebuild a big chunk of my social life. And one of the things I did to get out of the house was I took some cooking classes and all of the things that I took were, they basically boiled down to, I want to learn how to cook well-spiced ethnic food. You know, I would take classes, like I found a couple local places that were offering classes and like, oh, Southeast Asia, uh, Thai food, Indian, Cajun, Moroccan, Persian, like, yes, let teach me all of these things. You know, I, I, I wasn't really great about going home and immediately recooking everything to solidify it in my head, but I've always got these recipes and I can always go back to them and I can remember like basically how was it the first time around? As I will get confused on the details and it will still take a few times of doing a recipe to really get it right usually, but you know, it, it demystifies the process a lot. It's, it's, you know, I can still go and say, wow, this is amazing. How do they do this? I have no idea how they do this. I did not grow up with this. I have no concept of how this process even works. And it can like, that can teach you, oh, okay, this is the process. Okay. It's not quite as mystifying as I, as I originally thought. And now I can kind of try these different ingredients and recognize them in a flavor profile. Whereas before I'd have no idea what that even was. So what haven't you tried uh, that you still would like to try? Ooh, high up on my list for a while has been uh, more Sichuan food because there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot more places specializing in that that have opened up in the San Gabriel Valley, which is a drive from where I am. So it's kind of one of those things that has to be a weekend excursion. But that, I've tried a tiny bit of Szechuan food. It's a very different kind of spicy. Um, it's almost cold and numbing as opposed to, like, screamingly hot. Oh, wait, what? How? Oh, really? It's a different, yeah, it's a different kind of peppercorn that they use for, for their spice. It produces a very different sensation in in your mouth. The term for it, I think if I remember right, it's called mala, is, the, is their term for the description of the uh, the numbing quality of these Sichuan peppercorns. But that's that's like a that's a, that's a thing that is very unfamiliar to me still that I would very much like to uh, to, to dive into and just see what it's about. And and other folks around you uh, that you hang out with, how uh, willing have they been to go along with some of these like excursions and trying some of this stuff out? They're like, oh great, Steve's taking us to a place again, or oh Steve's doing this, or even like, yeah, no, sure, I'll go. Yeah, let's let's try that. I've never had blood sausage soup. Sure, what the hell. I, I don't have that many friends like that, unfortunately. No, not very adventurous? No, like there's there's a significant number of people who, you know, they're transplants, but they still like to stay in their comfort zone. So they will kind of stick to what they know. You know, they'll, maybe, it, maybe that manifests itself as an ironic obsession with a chain restaurant. It's not really all that ironic in the end. I have had more success getting people interested in tacos than any other kind of food. 
there's still like a plan with one of my fingers. Like we gotta, we gotta just do taco week sometime, man. We just gotta, we just like, just, just make a list of the places. We'll go to everyone every night. We'll just do taco week and it'll be great. We'll have tacos all week. It'll be fantastic. That sounds like an amazing week. Yes. I need to put it together. I was going to put it together this spring and then I broke my damn foot. So that didn't happen, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's the easiest is if you start from someplace people are already vaguely familiar with and you know, there's a whole other world of this stuff that like, you know, you can get into and, and, and be like, Ooh, yeah, I like tacos. Who doesn't like tacos? Maybe I should go. Maybe I should try these other taco places. Maybe I'd like it. Uh, maybe I'll branch out. I don't know. It's feels weird. Well, it kind of sounds like almost that's kind of what you did in, in starting off with this stuff, too. Like, making that conscious decision to, okay, I'm familiar with this, and now i got to try this, and, like, just kind of, like, expanding the radius bit by bit. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you start small, and you just slowly branch out. You know, it's a process. You get used to things, and, and uh, but, you know, somebody has to blaze the trail sometimes, and... Uh, I, I don't know. I remember. I remember being on an overseas study program when I was younger, and uh, we went to uh, I think London and France for a week each. London and Paris, and a lot of the people I was with were kind of nervous to go out and about in Paris because they didn't really speak the language. And you know, even though I took high school French, I really didn't speak the language either. But you know, I could. I could. I knew enough to do words and order at restaurants. And uh, so we'd just kind of go out and explore a little bit, and then uh, we'd we'd be able to report back to people like, "Oh, we went to this place. This was really good here." And people would get into like, "Oh, oh, okay." Just just the fact that kind of somebody else went out and did the exploring first, and can report back that it went fine. Sometimes that's what people need to kind of spur them into exploring it themselves. Like, I feel like that's kind of what Jonathan Gold did for me and a lot of other people, too, is he did the initial exploring and then reported back like, hey, this is great. Hey, go to this neighborhood that you would never go to otherwise and eat like this, you know, stewed goat or this uh, morning glory curry or this this other stuff. It's all great. It, 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 he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of... Uh, I'll drop in another Simpsons reference, the episode where Homer becomes a restaurant critic and he just loves everything and the whole town gets massively fat. I mean, Jonathan Gold doesn't love everything, but he's the kind of, like, he's the kind of critic that is kind of my platonic ideal of a critic is that he loves what he's writing about in like the general topic. He wants to be transported somewhere. He wants to have an experience from what he's enjoying and you know he really wants it to be good and when it's good he can articulate why why it's like what were they trying to do how well did they pull it off is this uh you know is this something that that people that, that is worth experiencing and he found so many things that were worth experiencing. And, you know, he, he uh, unfortunately passed away uh, not too long ago. His cancer took him very, very suddenly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty big loss for, for the, because the Los Angeles that he's writing about, you know, this ethnic immigrant Los Angeles is, 
you know, there's there's just gentrification all over the damn place. The mayor is basically selling the city off to the highest bidder, and and it's harder and harder and harder for people to just come to a city and carve out a place for themselves in it because because the entry barrier is getting higher and higher all the time. Do you feel like you kind of almost got there at a kind of in a sweet spot sort of where you kind of could still do this situation this stuff still does exist there and you've had the time to be able to do it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely I'm glad that I came when I did because it only got harder from there and it was it was kind of just starting to get difficult but it was still doable like but when the recession hit, I was out of work for almost a year. But rent and bills wise, I could still I could still just barely get by on on what I was getting on unemployment with that federal you know supplement to it. There's no way I'd be able to do that now because my rent has pretty much doubled since then, and you know it's it's not. Uh, it's not, it's not going to go down anytime soon because there's just not enough places for everybody to live and all they're building is luxury shit. So, you know, it's none of it's for us. None of it's for the rest of us. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how... Whoever's moving here now, I have no idea how they're doing it unless they have help from their parents because... Or unless they're all living like, you know, six people in, a, in an apartment or something. I have no idea what how anybody can survive on, like, entry-level wages here. Yeah, that's everywhere, man. Thank you, Steve. If you'd like to see what he's up to and working on, including co-hosting the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, by all means, please follow him on Twitter at HollywoodSteveH or visit YachtRock.com. Did you like what you heard here? Would you like to hear other episodes? It's simple. You can subscribe to the Enthusiast Club on your favorite podcast app or visit enthusiastsclub.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Enthusiast Club. Thank you for listening. Thank you.